Um, it's so good to be able to be uh, with each and every one of you here. And um, I'm going to ask that I know we just pray to close out our worship time, but I'm also going to ask that you would join me in a word of prayer as we enter into the time in which we dive into God's word. So will you pray with me? Father, we thank you so much for who you are, Lord, and we thank you for this weekend. I pray that as uh, each person who hears my voice, I pray that they would know that they are prayed for, cared for, and loved. And I pray, Lord, that you would just make it abundantly clear what it is that you have for them specifically this weekend. I pray that I would decrease, that you would increase, that you would speak in a personal, powerful, impactful way to each and every one of us. Lord, we love you, and it's in your son's holy and precious name we pray. Amen. Now, what I want to start off with is we're going to be in Revelation chapter 3, verse 14 through 22 as we close out uh, Revelation chapter 3, as we close out our series looking at the um, seven churches uh, through Revelation. And as you're turning there, I just want to ask a question. If you've ever had a a time in which you looked in the mirror and it was hard for you to recognize who you saw, the reason I bring it up is I... Um, would be, I, I don't look in the mirror a lot, um, and some of you are like, we can tell, and don't keep that to yourselves, um, but no, so I don't look in the mirror a lot, and part of what that is, is that, you know, for me, um, I had, I've had a struggle with my weight uh, over time, and so it's easy for me to kind of get discouraged when I look in the mirror, and I think, oh, that shirt doesn't fit well, or, you know, I think my, my face is fuller than it usually is, and not of the joy of the Lord of just fullness. Um, And so having just this moment of, you know, I don't always look in the mirror. So I have these times when my daughters would look at me and they would, you know, they would say, daddy, you're getting gray hairs. And I don't, I don't look enough in the mirror to recognize that. I'm like, are you sure? Like, yeah. And you know, they're starting to look on the sides here and it's not a lot, but even this morning earlier today, uh, Shaylin, my oldest was just looking and saying, oh, look, dad, let me see if I could find your gray hairs. Oh, there they are. I'm like, thank you, encouraging, loving daughter. Um, But just recognizing that, yeah, that those happen. And you know, I have these uh, little, uh, it's called milia, these little tiny little things on my, underneath my eyes where I rub them if, if, if I'm rubbing my eyes. I have uh, like a brown spot on my eye that I, again, I don't always notice these things. And one of the things that my daughters have shared too is when you look at my eyes, uh, they're really dark. They're like a dark brown, almost black, but there's like a blue, very, very faint, um, like just kind of circle right around the iris there. And so, you know, I'm like, I don't even notice these things. Why? Because I don't, like to look in the mirror very often. And I think a lot of us have those moments where maybe we don't like to look in the mirror, or we don't like to be able to see things how they really are. Maybe we think of how we once looked in the past, and so when we don't look that way anymore, it's more discouraging. Uh, maybe we look at things and we know what we want to change, but every day we look in the mirror and we look the same. It shows us that we haven't made the change. For some of us, I think I'm not the only one who looks at this time and says, I don't always like looking in the mirror because the mirror reveals certain things about us. What we reflect in the mirror, what our reflection shows is often so much reveals what's important to us. Because if I like to eat a lot of, you know, cheese and and sweets, and this is totally hypothetical, um, if I like to eat those things, then it starts to show up more in the mirror. If you laugh a lot, then you start to get those crinkles around your eyes that show that you've lived a life filled with joy and smiles. If, if we have furrowed brows, maybe it shows us that we've worried more than we've rejoiced. Maybe we look in the mirror and we think about what once was. Maybe we look at the mirror and we wonder what may be, but sometimes we just have a hard time looking in the mirror to see what truly is. 
because maybe we're afraid of what we might see. Maybe we're afraid we won't recognize who we see in the mirror when we do that. And I bring this all up because we're going to take a few moments that this idea of looking at ourselves in a way that is a little scary, is a little, a little intimidating for us, is something that God shows us in his word, that Jesus speaks to the church at Laodicea. And in the church at Laodicea, when we'll read those, the scripture together, uh, Revelation 3, 14 through 22, we're just going to read the first few verses together now, um, and then we will, um, you know, we'll unpack that a little bit. But Jesus spares... Or he, he doesn't spare anything to them. He speaks truly, plainly. And we see in the very beginning, verse 14, to the angel of the church in Laodicea write, these are the words of the amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. Just right off the bat, Jesus is proclaiming who he is, the God of the amen, the amen, the one who says, let it be, the one who is all powerful, the faithful and the true witness, the one who is true and he is faithful for what he did on the cross. He is faithful in his love for us. He is true and he witnesses to God's love in a faithful and true way. The kind of love that shows that though God demonstrated his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, he died for us. That he loved us so much, he sent his only begotten son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have eternal life. Jesus is that faithful and true witness to that. But then also the idea that he's the ruler or, or the beginning, the originator of God's creation. That Colossians talks about how through him, he was the firstborn of all creation. In Acts 17, Paul talks about how in him and through him all things have their being. So we see right off the bat that who Jesus is and what he says is vitally important, but he spares no punches to them. Verse 15, he says to the Laodicean church, I know your deeds, that you are neither hot or excuse me, neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. And we'll stop there for a moment because when we hear this passage, I mean, we, we, I don't know if you ever had um, a time where you just had something that you tasted and it was just so bad that you, you just felt like you couldn't finish it, right? When I went to India, um, in 2005, we had an opportunity to, to go out into kind of a rural area. And while we were there, we had an opportunity to um, go and do like a VBS at this school. And someone there was really kind and really generous. And, and they would go up and they climbed up on a palm tree and they cut down coconuts, one for each, every one of us, and, and they handed it to us. And if you've ever been on the missions field, or, or even if you go to someone's house, one of the things we're teaching our girls is that even if you don't necessarily like what's there, you, you eat, you're gracious, you're grateful, and you eat what's in front of you. And so, you know, we're on the missions field, and they come down and they give us coconuts, and you're thinking, oh, coconut's really sweet, like this is going to taste really good. And the best way that I can describe it was that it tasted like warm saliva. It just was like, oh, you just, it was really hard, and I'm like, I don't know what to do. And so, like, I was really tempted to, like, drop it and, like, kick it with my feet. Oh, no, it all spilled. And I didn't do that. But, you know, it's just this moment of, oh, it was something that I, it was hard for me to swallow. Sometimes when we look in the mirror, there are things that we look at, and, and I'm not just talking about a physical mirror. Now. I'm talking about when we reflect on our lives, there are things that are hard for us to swallow. And what Jesus says here is, I wish that you were either cold or hot, but because you're lukewarm, I spew you out, I vomit you out, I spit you out. And it's very strong language. And when we look at this passage, so often what we do is we take it and we start to think about how it's more specifically referring to um, like our hearts. Our hearts, is it, are our hearts cold towards Jesus or are our hearts 
hot? Are we on fire for him or are we frigid towards him? And so as we're looking at these reflections of Laodicea in your notes, it's this idea of saying, there's a reason Jesus uses this very specific example of you're neither hot nor cold. And the reason that is, is that inside there's a map that I want to show you here. And we zoomed it in, so hopefully it'll be able to, to be seen. Is that if you could see here, Laodicea is right here. Hierapolis is a city that is six miles north of Laodicea. And then Colossae is about 10 miles, you know, southeast, uh, if you will, um, from Laodicea. And what both of these places were known for different things. Hierapolis, because of where it was, they um, were able to have really hot springs. They had hot springs of water that were used for, for cleansing or for healing. And so from there, Laodicea, because they didn't have a great water supply here, their water would be taken from Hierapolis and brought down and funneled through an aqueduct to Laodicea. So by the time it got to Laodicea, there was no longer the hot, refreshing water, the hot water that was healing and had great use from Hierapolis that people would go to for healing. Instead, it was something where by the time it got there, it was just lukewarm. And it wasn't good. And it had a lot of like salt deposits. So just it wasn't good water. In fact, people would visit Laodicea and they would take a sip and they, if they weren't aware of the water, would spew it out. But Jesus doesn't just say, I wish you were hot, right? He also talks about how I wish that you were cold water. Because down here in Colossae, they were known to have really refreshing springs of water. That when you're having a hot day, which I know is a little hard to, uh, you know, remember what that's like on a day like this. But when it's a hot day, we, we joke about at our house that a cup of ice water is the drink that refills itself. Because you drink it and then the ice is still there and it melts and it becomes cold water again. And so, you know, just getting a refreshing drink on a hot day, a cold, oh, it's just so beautiful. It's so refreshing. And Proverbs talks about the beauty of a cool drink on a hot day and the good news that comes from that. So Jesus is saying, I wish that you were either like Hierapolis who had healing water, that were healing people, or that you were refreshing people and giving drinks to people who are thirsty. Because he doesn't say, I know your heart. I wish you were hot or cold. What does he say in verse 15? I know your deeds. He's not just looking at our heart. He's looking at the church and saying, here's what you do. You're not being someone who heals and comes alongside and comforts and, and helps people in that same way that healing waters, the hot waters would be in Hierapolis. And you're also not giving that refreshing drink to people as the cold drink of Colossae would do. You're lukewarm and he spit you out. And so as they look at that, they, re they realize that that was something that was very specific to their culture. Another thing that's very specific to their culture as we uh, continue on in verse 15, uh, 16, excuse me, tell us this, or 17, I'm sorry. You say, I am rich, I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing, but you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so you can become rich and white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so you can see. Laodicea was known for a few different things. One, they were known for their poor water. But another thing they were known for is that they were very wealthy. That They would say, you know, I, I have enough stuff. We, we're so rich. We, we don't need anything else. And Jesus says, no, 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 you're wretched and you're poor and you're pitiable. Because they mistook their wealth, their worldly wealth, to equate to their true wealth. What's true riches? It's being able to, 1 Timothy 6 talks about as Paul. It's the idea of, 
being rich towards God. So they were known to be truly, really wealthy. But instead of, you know, recognizing that true wealth comes from loving God, loving others, serving people, they thought that, oh, our good, our, our good amount of money, that's enough to save us. We're, we're self-sufficient. Uh, we're self-reliant. We don't need something else or someone else. So we're good enough. It's okay to be lukewarm. It's okay to be, because good enough is, is good enough. It's the idea that C's get degrees, or I just want to do the bare minimum. It's these different things that it's not the way we want to live as Christ followers. So they were known to be great wealthy. They were also really known for their, for their linens, and especially they were known for black, like raven dark uh, cloths that people would go to them in order to purchase. And so when he talks about the idea that may you clothe yourself, not in the dark cloths of there, but if you clothe yourself in white, he's taking these things that were identifying them, that they were known for, and he's turning them on their heads. Again, as verse 18 says, buy for me gold refined to the fire so you can become rich, white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness, and then lastly, salve to put on your eyes so that you can see. And this is the idea that they were known for riches. So he says, learn what true richness is. They were known for their dark clothes. So he says, let me clothe you in white. And they were also known for what was called a Phrygian powder. It was a a specific eye medication that would be able to help people um, to be able to be healed. So people would come to this area to purchase this salve, this this Phrygian powder, in order to put on their eyes and be healed. And says, let me, you need to put a real salve on your eyes to be able to see clearly. To be able to see clearly about what's really going on, to see what salvation looks like. See, we have these reflections of Laodicea that show us those things that they thought that they were self-sufficient. They thought that good enough was good enough. They were lukewarm because their deeds were not healing and they were not refreshing. And so inside your notes, you'll see we talk about reflections of Laodicea, but also reflection of America. And we're not going to take a ton of time here, but let's take a look at some of the things in America where if we're not careful, we, like Laodicea, might think that the culture, not just our, not our church, but the culture thinks we have enough. We don't need God because we have all that we need. We're in a culture where we don't rely necessarily on agriculture or the seasons in order to get, you know, what we need to be able to have. Uh, We don't wait on the, um, you know, the soil and things like that. We're not an agricultural culture. We're an industrial culture, right? So, So we look at our value not at what God provides. We look at our value so easily at what men have been able to create and reproduce, and so like the Laodiceans, it would be easy for us to say, listen, we have enough. We don't need God. And maybe that's not for those of us here or those of us watching online, but we know people who have had those moments where they think that they have enough. And we think that our identity or our value or our salvation comes in having enough things. And that's not true, but that is a pill that can be hard to swallow. And, and we start to think that, you know, that we're going to be able to be good enough on our own. So the church of Laodicea, some of the churches we read earlier, Smyrna, who's going through great persecution to the point where, you know, they're, they're going to have 10 days of persecution and barely be able to survive, or some of the other ones that are having extreme persecution from the outside. We're in a place where our culture, we're not to the point where having a church service is one where we have to be fearful for our lives. 
that when we look at when in India that we knew pe- people that would be sent out and they would leave their Bible college and they would go over to where Nepal is and, and um, Bangladesh and they would go to places knowing they would not come back because they would be martyred for their faith. That, that's not how it is here for us. The problem that we have is that we might become churches in America that are neither hot where we're healing people or neither cold where we're not refreshing people, that we think that our, what we own is enough to save us or we think that we're able to just you know, find other ways of healing. There's another salve, there's a secret pill, there's something that might be better for us that can provide for us, but that's not true either. So the church of Laodicea reflects a lot of the things that we in, in, um, receive or interact or um, navigate as the church in America. That we might be able to find, think that bigger is better. So we want to go to a church that's the biggest or, the, or has the best equipment or the most skilled preacher or whatever it is. And we think, well, bigger must be better in America, so bigger must be better in the church. And that's not necessarily true. Not that there's anything bad about big churches. I'm not besmirching them. That's where I came from. But we tend to apply the American dream to the Christian walk. And when we do that, that can become a hard pill to swallow. And so I want to close looking at the last few verses here in verses 18 through 20, or 19 through 22, excuse me. Jesus then says to this church, those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. To the one who's victorious, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I was victorious and sat down with my father on his throne. And whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And this last reflection we talk about is the reflection of Jesus, because here's what happens. When we hear verse 16, we think it's about the heart. You know, I wish you were either hot or cold. We think it's about the heart. When we often hear verse 20, what we often think about is that it's a, it's a heart for evangelism, or it's the receiving of evangelism, that Jesus stands at the door and knocks, and whoever would let him in, he would have fellowship and relationship with, and it's beautiful. But we have to remember in the context, right? In the context, Jesus isn't writing this to the non-Christians in Laodicea. He's writing this to the church of Laodicea. That means that the call to reflect where we are with Jesus is not just for people who don't know him. It's for us every single day. That when we look in the mirror, do people see us? Do we see ourselves? Or when people see us, do they see us? Or do they see Jesus? He's standing at the door and knocking, and it's not a, it's not a pounding down, but it's a, it's a knock, a gentle knock, a wrapping of the knuckles to say, will you let me in? Will you make room for me in your life? That the other night we were watching a movie, and, and Shailen was sitting on the edge of the couch, and there wasn't quite enough room for me. I'm like, I don't care how much weight I've lost this year. Like, as I'm trying to lose weight through Weight Watchers, there wasn't enough room. I just, math is math, right? And so I was like, hey, can, can, you, know, can you please scoot over so I can sit next to you? And of course, she could have said, no, this is where I'm sitting or whatever. But no, what does she do? She made room. And in the making of the room was the deepening of a relationship. In the making of the room, there's a closeness to one another. That when we ask God to make room, or we make room and we say, Jesus, you're knocking at the door, come in. Look, I've, I've made a place for you. 
This is not just a salvation conversation. This is a walking with Jesus every day and communing with him, having fellowship with him, connecting with him, learning more about him, and spending enough time with him that we can reflect him to others. So here's what we do. What do we do with all this? We're looking at different reflections, Laodicea of America, and then how do we reflect Jesus? And, And this is what I would challenge you with this week. Make room every day to be with him. And to be clear, that doesn't just mean make room that, that you're just quiet and, and, you know, oh, I'm doing my quiet time now, but you're distracted. It's make room, make 10 minutes every single day where you are saying, Jesus, how do I need to be more reflecting you? And because our main point for the night is this idea that we must look in the mirror to see what we revere. If we revere what the world says is important to us, that's what we'll reflect to others. If you see that I like food and then I, it looks like that, then you'll see, okay, that's what's important to you because you choose eating over walking or exercising. Or if you choose to be able to do whatever it is, you can look and see what's important to us by what we see in the mirror. So make room for Jesus 10 minutes every single day. Maybe for you that's too small. Please spend more time. I'm not limiting you to that. But if you're not doing anything, make room for some time because he's knocking on the door of your heart. And it's not just for salvation. It's for relationship. That we must look in the mirror, even though it might be hard to see how we're like others around us and we're more like our culture, our country, our world, perhaps than we are about our Christ and our Lord and our Savior. That's hard to swallow. But when people see us, will they see, oh, that looks like that's the American dream just kind of put over a Christian person. Or will they say that is a Christ follower? Because when we do this, when we all buy into this, what that means is that we reflect Jesus so clearly that in a world that is broken and hurting and struggling right now, we shine all the brighter. That people will look and be able to say, not just what's different about you, but say, I want what you have. And then you can say, it's not what I have, but it's who I let in when they, he knocked on the door. And so as we close, I ask that you would just join me in a word of prayer. Father, we thank you that we know that you are working in our lives. We know that you are knocking on the doors of our hearts right now. And Lord, I pray that we would make room for you. Lord, I know we sang that song earlier, but we're going to sing that song again to you because we want you to do whatever you need to do in our lives. In those moments in which we try to avoid the mirror, some of us, we become really vain and we want to always look in the mirror. But Lord, when we look in the mirror, is it a reflection of you that we see back pointing back at us? Have we started off our faith and we are so fervent in following you, but as the days have gone to weeks, to months, and to years, have we gotten to a point where our deeds have become lukewarm? Have we gotten to a point where we've turned to things like money or our reputation or popularity or other productivity, whatever it may be, to find our identity there? Do you knock at the door of our hearts and we say, there's no room for you in the end. There's no room for you in my life. Why don't you stay outside, Jesus? Because if you come in, I know you'll change things, Lord. I don't want you to change things. But Lord, if that's our hearts, God, 
Renew our hearts to become more like you. May we make room for you now and may we take the moments of this song, Lord, to let these words just wash over us as we ready our hearts for what it is that you have for us this weekend and how it is that we can reflect you to those around us. Lord, because if it's true that we must look in the mirror to see what we revere, may we start to look in the mirror and see you reflected back. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.